one of them first service, so we, uh, we may be in this verse till the Lord comes back. I don't know. I, I just I get long-winded, and I had determined that I was going to end the service on time because the parking lot's become a problem, and I ended it late. It was just, so I'm going to try to end on time, and, uh, you know, but Philippians 4, 8. You know, going through the book of Philippians, Paul is sharing with the Christians the, the way to live your life in such a way that you can really experience joy and peace that goes along with that. That's something that we desperately need. And here in verse 8, he talks about the thought life, the meditation, what you deliberately think on. As we talked last week, meditation isn't something where you empty your mind. It's actually what you intentionally lead your mind into. If you like the computer analogy, what you program into this mind. We are so much a product of what we think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Sanctification or growing in the Lord, Paul described it as after your, um, you know, as you are giving your life to Christ, he says that rather than being conformed to the world, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason we do dumb things is that we think dumb things. Everything dumb we do started out with just a bad idea. And so it's important as Christians that we put into our head those things that will result in a life that glorifies God and that makes sense and that experiences joy. So Philippians 4, 8, we'll read it through. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Quite a list of things that he says, when you take the time to think, think these things. Focus on these things. And I believe that Paul would be encouraging us to set aside time regularly to think, to meditate. And here he gives us a, a guideline, a list, a punch list of the kinds of things that we need to reflect on if our lives are going to result in a life of obedience to God and a life of, of joy and peace. The way I would suggest that while we're spending the next few months in this passage, no, I, I don't anticipate that, but memorize this verse. Because if you just go off with just you and God and you start to say, what do I think about Go through this list as we will discuss these different elements. Last week, we looked at what's true, meaning that I'm committed to be honest. I want to know the truth. I want to reflect the truth. I want to live the truth. I don't want to be fooled anymore. Satan is the father of lies. Jesus came and he said, I am the truth. And if you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so, Meditating on truth is going to God and saying, and coming to his word and saying, okay, give it to me straight. I really want to hear what you want me to know. I need to be honest about myself, and I want to be honest about my life and everything that's in it. Nobility, that word, is a word that comes from a word that means worship. And, and thinking about noble things means I'm worshiping God. In the truth step, I'm being honest about me and about my circumstances. But now I'm taking that truth and I'm putting it into the light of heaven. 
I'm coming before God and acknowledging what he is worth. I'm spending time with him, and I'm allowing him to be included in my calculations for life. I'm not living under the sun as Solomon was in the book of Ecclesiastes, but instead I'm shining the light of God's reality on my life. So whatever is true and whatever is noble. By the way, in memorizing this verse, I'll give you a, and I really hesitate to even do this because it'll give you an insight into my weird head and how I remember things. And, you know, I shared it first service and people looked at me like I was nuts. But here goes. I, I wanted to remember these things because I didn't want to have to take my Bible with me every time I go to meditate. And so uh, I started thinking about true and noble. And when I put those words together, it sounded like true noble. It made one word, and it reminded me of Chernobyl, the nuclear disaster. So it gets worse, trust me. So I go, okay, I, I imagine that there was this true noble disaster. Now, I, I thought our country would send an expert over in order to help evaluate the situation. And where better to find an expert than the Jet Propulsion Laboratories, JPL in Pasadena? Now, if you don't even know what Jet Propulsion Laboratory is, this won't help you. But if you can think of, uh, if you know what a, a person from JPL is like, now I go, okay, we've got the true noble disaster, and we send a guy from JPL, just pure and love, lovely. Okay, those are those next three things. And the guy came back, and he reported a good report. That's the next thing, good report. He reported it actually to the vice president, VP, virtuous and praiseworthy. And there you go. You just, you either memorized a verse or you decided that your pastor is absolutely nuts. <laughs> what does it mean to be just? And how do you meditate on justice? The word justice indicates a, a court decision, a legal handing down of reckoning the evidence and coming up with a conclusion. That's a process by which in our society, and really in most societies, there's a presentation of various positions that may be divergent, and there's some way in which, as that is heard, there's a decision that's made, hopefully objectively, based on, okay, here's what needs to happen. Now, this is a concept that they were very familiar with in those days as a part of the Roman Empire. This was a central focus of Roman culture. In fact, today, as a symbol for justice often and for the courts in front of many courts and inside them, you'll see pictures of a lady who was actually a Roman goddess, the goddess of justice. But in this picture of this lady, she's blindfolded, because the idea is justice needs to be blind. It can't be, well, I'm considering who you are as I, as I decide the case. There's no prejudice. There's no room for categorizing people and jumping to conclusions. And so Lady Justice was blind. She also was holding a scale in her left hand, a balance scale. And that was the idea that you put all of the information there and you weigh it out. And then Lady Justice has to have a way to enforce the, the uh, verdict. And so she's holding a two-edged sword, usually in her right hand, indicating whatever is decided is just, that's going to happen. Now, when Paul is saying, meditate on what's just, meditate on what's being fair, it's, 
asking us to do essentially the same thing. As we've already decided that we're committed to truth, and then we've already acknowledged the presence of God, His glory, who He is. Now we say, the problem is, how do you live that out? How do you practice that? Because contrary to justice, which is blind, we're very prejudiced. We tend to be respecters of persons based on someone's heritage, based on what we know to be their uh, intellect or their educational background or their financial level or whatever. We have all these traits, physical attractiveness and everything else that we calculate so often when we're making an evaluation of someone. So it's hard for us to be fair because we tend to cheat. And then we're very selfish. And so I tend to give a lot more weight to my own position and to who I am than I give to someone who disagrees with me. Basically, I think I am right, and that's my baseline for justice. And if people will line up with who I am, then okay, they're good. If they're different than me, they're probably wrong. That's my bias. That's my prejudice, if you will. And that stands in the way of justice. I mean, I'll tell you how weird this can be. I was this week looking at, at a picture in the, on the internet in the news. I came to the conclusion that I am better looking bald than Britney Spears is. <laughs> I mean, I look at her and I go, dang, I don't look that bad. I, but Drudge Report, go ahead and check the picture out and tell me if I'm wrong. No, don't tell me. I don't want to know. The way a court works, though, everyone is entitled to representation. So often in our interpersonal relationships, though, we act more like an attorney than a judge. See, here's the way our justice system works. The truth is, we're not sure who's right, and so our system is built around the fact that everyone deserves a hearing. Everyone deserves to be represented. Now, this is what makes most people to hate lawyers, because you see lawyers who are representing people that you, you're certain that they're guilty, and here's the lawyer defending them. And so often we think, hey, that's not right. Why would you do that? And we think, if I was a lawyer, I would first make sure that someone's innocent before I would represent them. Or before I would prosecute someone, I'd make sure they were guilty. But the way our system works, and it's a good system, you don't know if someone's innocent or guilty until they have a fair trial. Now, some trials are more fair than others because there are all sorts of factors that come into play. Some lawyers are better than others. Some judges are smarter than others. Some, I mean, then you take it to a jury, 12 people who are too stupid to get out of jury duty, and it's like, <laughs> you know, if justice happens. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's still the best system that there is. And the way our system works is everyone deserves a hearing. And so I just want to say I honor attorneys who will represent someone that everyone thinks they're wrong because sometimes there's somebody that everyone's sure they're guilty and they're not. And so the way our system works is you let both parties present their case and we will try to objectively evaluate that and clear our minds of anything that would blind us to, to reality, including blindfolding ourselves to our to our, you know, personal biases. And then, hopefully, we will come up with the best chance of, of, a, of a verdict. And that verdict, quite often, is a compromise. 
it's quite often not a clear victory one way or the other because it's usually not a case, and this is true interpersonally as well, when you and I disagree, it's usually not a case that one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Generally, when we disagree, each of us has our points. Each of us is right about certain things, wrong about other things. But to commit our lives to justice is to say, you know what, I want to give a fair hearing to people who disagree with me. And I think this is something as Christians whereby a lot of times we could use some work. A lot of times I don't want to hear why someone disagrees with me. I just want to tell them what I believe. And so I say, look, forget all that. Just let me tell you what the facts are. Let me tell you the truth. I know what the deal is. But that kind of behavior will separate us from others, and it will also prevent us from hearing from God because none of us is right all the time. You know what amazes me about God is that he doesn't just say, look, I'm God, you're not, shut up and do what I'm telling you to do. But do you know the most basic part of being a Christian is that God wants us to pray? He wants us to talk to him, to converse with him, and he will sit there and listen as long as you want to talk. And partly because it's going to help you, but he just likes listening to you. Now, is that your heart toward your kids, toward your spouse, toward your friends, toward your enemies, towards people who believe different, maybe have a different faith than you do? Are you willing to listen to them? If we don't learn to listen to them, then we're going to stay the way we are except because of the laws of thermodynamics, we will have a tendency to deteriorate. The only way we're going to grow is if we listen to perspectives that we don't have and come up with a balance like justice does, whereby the, the scales are weighed and somehow we can maybe come up with a better perspective than what we've had already. Justice, the, the search for justice implies that you don't know everything. And so justice presupposes a humility that says, I need to take this to another level. I'm not, I don't have all the answers myself. And I really believe that as Christians, sometimes we're guilty of categorizing all sorts of people and not wanting to be confused with the facts. Christians sometimes are scared to death to talk to people who believe something differently than they do. But, you know, the truth is, if, if Jesus really is the truth as he says that he is, and if his word will stand, I'm not afraid to talk to someone who doesn't believe it. I, I mean, I go, that's not what I want for my total diet. But, you know, I probably read almost as much from people who don't believe in God as people who do. I'll go on the Internet to the atheist sites and listen to why they believe what they believe. Now you may go, oh, no, that's, that's terrible. No, it's not. See, I believe, I have enough faith in God to believe that my faith will stand in the face of opposition. And I'll go ahead and say, let's put the cards on the table. And let's see what happens. I don't, I don't base what I believe. For instance, you take another group like, like the Mormons. I'm not going to just believe, okay, here's what the Mormons teach because I have this Christian book on Mormonism. I've taken the time to sit down and spend hours talking to Mormons and finding out what they really believe. And, you know, I'm not a Mormon. They didn't pollute me. They didn't, you know, grab me and mind control me or something. It was like, you know, and, I, and you know what I found out is that when I listened to them, they were also a lot more willing to listen 
to me. And that's something that if we learn it in our lives, our relationships will be so much better. We will have so many less battles with people. If we say, let me understand what you're thinking. If there's a person who disagrees with you and you understand completely why they believe the way they do, then you've taken a huge step toward also helping them to understand your perspective. And if what you believe is right, it will only be strengthened by hearing some of the objectives. It's funny, there are some positions that I hold to theologically that I became persuaded in those positions by reading those who would advocate the opposite position. For instance, I believe that the, that the rapture comes before the tribulation. And I've read plenty of books to defend a pre-tribulation rapture, and that's what I believe. That's what I was taught. But I wrestled with it for a long time because I knew people who believed mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, preterist, whatever. The funny thing was, I got the best book at the time that was written to advocate a post-tribulation rapture. There's a book called The Church in the Tribulation by Gundry. And I thought, you know, if it really is a pre-tribulation rapture, then I shouldn't be afraid to hear what Gundry has to say because so many people were advocating post-trib based on Gundry's book at the time. I was a student at the time, and so I studied his book, and he didn't convince me of a post-trib rapture. In fact, Gundry's book convinced me of a pre-tribulation rapture because I realized, okay, I see all of his arguments. I'm not going to fault him or put him down. I'm not going to say, oh, what a stupid position that is. But I listened to the best that he had to dish out, and I came away going, you know, I think he's wrong. But I've heard him. I listened to him. He wasn't very happy when he came to speak at Biola, and I shared with him that he was the one who convinced me of a pre-tribulation rapture. As you... As you get older, you learn there are some, some things people just don't want to know. But I also had a teacher who taught an entire class on why certain of the spiritual gifts ceased at the end of the first century church. That's a belief called cessationists. That there are some gifts that were only signed gifts to be used the first hundred years of the church, and then they went away. Well, this guy argued that position as strongly as anyone could. His position would say in 1 Corinthians 13, when it says that which is perfect is come, it's talking about the completion of the canon of Scripture, and you know that which is partial will be done away. After I took a whole class to teach that, I realized, I don't believe that these gifts have ceased. I think God can still do these things. And so, again, he didn't appreciate that awareness either. <laughs> they almost didn't let me graduate, but that's another story. <laughs> so here's the thing. If, you, if you're dedicated to the truth, really want to know the truth, one way that you're going to get there is through being fair and being just. And so our lives should be lived in such a way that we are willing to be humble that we are willing to put aside our prejudice and that we are willing to listen to people who have a different perspective than we do and to believe at some point that together, when we understand each other and when we all listen and we pray and ask the Lord, that in some areas we may disagree, agree to disagree and those areas may not be worth fighting over. But ultimately, we can live lives of peace because we're not running around hiding, afraid to be confronted by certain things. Now, how do we get that tendency? I have a 
a sneaking suspicion that it comes from the way we deal with children, the way parents deal with children and the way teachers deal with children. And hear me out on this. When a kid's really small, they learn to argue almost before they learn to talk. You know, they have a different idea than we do. In my opinion, the worst card to play at that point is the trump card. I'm your parent, and you do what I say. I, it, because I say so, that's why. I'm not going to have any arguing from you. You're just going to do blind obedience. And now you're all going, yeah, my parents did that, but I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, but we're all guilty of that sometimes with kids because, frankly, it's easier because they'll argue endlessly and their arguments are so irrational to us that it's just like, you know what, let me cut to the chase. <laughs> no. <laughs> but as your kids get older and smarter and as they really can argue better than you can, your thinking becomes more, I don't want to argue with you because I'm afraid I'll lose. But a life of justice means that it's important for us to live in fairness and it's also important for us to teach that to our kids. Because, you know, if we're never wrong, if we don't ever say that we made a mistake, if we don't hear them out, what kind of people do you think that will produce? Dogmatic people who then, once they get in charge, it's their way or the highway? Or worse yet, overly compliant children like Hitler's youth that just do whatever someone tells them to do. Oh, it was very practical for you as a parent to tell them to just don't argue, just do what I tell you to do. Hey, that works great until they have a science teacher who's telling them that the idea of God is just preposterous and you've taught them not to question authority. You've taught them not to bring up an argument. You've taught them to just, hey, just give in, submit. See, Sooner or later, that'll destroy them. And I think that our insecurity... See, if we're really wanting the truth and we're really wanting justice and fairness, we'll take the time to listen. We'll take the time to consider, maybe I'm not right. Go ahead and try to convince me. And that doesn't mean just... Let it, in, in the case with children, it doesn't mean just like, okay, go ahead, say what you want to say, tell me when you're done, and then I'll tell you no. But... Do we listen to them and teach them that there's, you know, that you don't get anything by screaming and stamping your foot? But if you can explain to me why you think that you're right in this way, and then you're willing to listen to me as I explain to you what I'm thinking, then we'll take a little time and let's pray about it and let's ask God to give me wisdom as to how I'm going to make the decision ultimately as your parent. Now, I know that takes time, and I know that it can be frustrating. But I promise you, parents, the time that you spend being fair with your kids will pay off in the future. If, if you think it's too much trouble to listen to your kids, find out how much trouble it is to be sitting there across a glass listening to them on a telephone because they're stuck in jail. You know, and see how you like that. Now, I'm not saying if you just say no to your kids that they're going to go to jail. But they might. <laughs> They might anyway. The thing is, really, are we fair? And do we teach this as a principle? Now, at the same time, I wouldn't say just let your kids go on and on however long they want. But there's a way to lay it out in the interest of justice that will say, here's what we're going to do. You give me every reason you can think of, 
as to why you want to do what you want to do. And I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to write them down. And then I am going to give you every reason that I'm thinking of that's the opposite. And then you can have one more minute to refute what I'm saying. I'll have one more minute to refute what you're saying. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to give it a little time. And then I will, as your parent, make that decision. Is that fair? And, and to do that, it, yeah, it takes a little time, but it's great time with your kids. And more than that, it's showing them that you have a heart for fairness. It's also showing them that rationality and, and, and to presenting a case and communicating it accurately and listening leads to something much more fruitful and productive in life. Not always the most practical thing to do, but if there's a way that you can convince your kids that what they say matters, that what they think matters, that you consider it seriously, and even to the point and you go, you know what, yeah, I'll listen to them, they're listening to me, I argue better than they do, I'm going to win every time. I hope that sometimes with your kids and with your spouse, with your friends, that sometimes you just lose intentionally. Just, we're coming to a loggerhead here, you know what? I, and, and I've done this with kids. When I used to bring kids into the school office to discipline them, I would never discipline them until they admitted that they deserved it. And we used to, way back in the old days, I would do corporal punishment. And I was thankful that most of the kids didn't figure out if they just stuck to their guns long enough, they would get off scot-free. But sometimes, you know, they would, I would think, you know, you're really guilty, and they would even admit, yeah, I probably do deserve it. And it took some time with them to get to that point. But sometimes I said, you know what? I really think you're guilty, and you probably deserve to be disciplined, but I like the way you presented your case. You were really calm, and, and you do have a point. I understand from your perspective. So this time, how about I'm just going to let you off. Next time, same thing happens. It might go my way. But at this point, I'll give, you know, and you think, oh, that's terrible. You're teaching your kids inconsistency. You know what? Life is inconsistent. And sometimes life isn't fair, but God is fair. And as representatives of his, we need to always err on the side of grace. And we need to be those who, like God, take the time to listen to other people. And who have a heart not for winning, not for what I want. It's a heart for fairness. And it's not fair for you to win every time. It's not fair for you to take advantage of your superior size and force or of you're controlling the economic situation as your kids get older. You control the car. You control the spending money and everything. And therefore, use that force. Because if that's the way, if that's the example that you set, then they are just thinking, wait till I get my force. Wait till I get my own car. Wait till I have my own place. Wait till I get bigger than you. You know, we'll see about force. We'll see about fairness. Then I get to win. And that's what's wrong with our world in so many degrees is that nobody will listen to each other. Most of us can't even accurately represent the position of people who disagree with us. As a result, how can we expect to have, you know, God's wisdom? God's so big, going back to nobility. Worshiping God means, God, you're huge. You surprise me all the time. You do things in such different ways. You know, it's funny when you look at all Christians, there are some of them who are just like us, and that's really cool. But there are some Christians who are really weird. 
There's some Christians who believe some kind of goofy things. Some of them, like, are wearing suits this morning, and some of them are listening to organ music, and, they're di- and it's like, wow, you know, they are so wrong, and we are so right. So what we do is we decide that our little sliver of the body of Christ is the real deal, and we decide that everyone who does things differently than we do, we look at other churches and other ways of worship and things like that, and we decide, oh, they're old school or they're whatever. And, they, and you know what we do is we miss most of God because God is there in a liturgical form of worship. God is there absolutely in the Baptist church next door to us and other churches down the street. God is so much bigger than we are. But when we decide that God is a whole lot like me, then I'm not saying I'm made in God's image. I'm making God in my image. And I believe that in order to paint the full picture of who God is, it takes people who are very different in order to do that. It takes including other perspectives. And so Paul would say, meditate on what's just. In order to do that, in order to get there, it means let's listen. Let's put everything on the table. Let's deliberately hear people who are different than we are. But again, if we decide that life is about indoctrination, that religion, Christianity is about indoctrination, you know, and we decide that every kid who questions things is, well, that's uh, oppositional defiance disorder. Get in line and salute Hitler, you know. Then it's like, hey, wait a minute. Difference is good, because I don't know everything. God does. And if what I believe is true, it will stand the test of the heat of the light of day. You know, we saw this when, when uh, well, Jesus, as he walked the earth, he spent more time talking to people who disagreed with him than he ever spent with people who, who agreed with him. And he had a hard time finding people who would agree with him. The more in-depth he got, the more people left. But Jesus was called a friend of sinners because he would sit there and listen to these guys go on and on. And he didn't always just have to put them down and argue with them. Sometimes he would just listen to them, make a few little comments to make them think some more. But ultimately, I think everyone knows that when was the last time you met a Pharisee or a Sadducee? But Christians, they're everywhere. Jesus wasn't so insecure that he would go, oh, don't confuse me with what you're going to say. And you go, well, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. How about in the Old Testament, Elijah? The the children of Israel were turning, because of the influence of Jezebel, were turning to the prophets of Baal. So Elijah put on a special service, special church service. And he went ahead and let the prophets of Baal go first. Now, when it's a contest to bring fire from heaven, it's always a wise thing to let the other team go first. But he let them rant and rave, and they just did their little incantations and played their magic and beat themselves and cut themselves, and they went through everything. And Elijah goes, are you done? (laughs) No, we're not. Okay, go ahead. Do some more. (laughs) But ultimately, as he came in with the truth of just crying out simply to God, and fire came from heaven and consumed the altar and the sacrifice, the water around the altar, the dirt under the altar and everything else. There wasn't one person in the house who was wondering who the real God was. And it's so important for us to understand that which is false is not a threat to us. 
And we may find out that in some ways, they have something to offer us. We cannot afford, if we're committed to justice, we can't afford to marginalize and write off certain people because they're not like us. Justice, being fair, means in our families and in our interpersonal relationships and in our spirituality in every area of life. Because, precisely because we're committed to the truth, number one, and we understand the nobility of God and His glory, number two, now we can step into that courtroom and we can say, go ahead and present your case. I, I, I want to listen. I really want to understand what you're thinking. And I don't want to come to a conclusion until I understand people who disagree with that conclusion. And then I allow God to present His case. And, and then I go, okay, what's fair? I don't want to even believe the right thing for the wrong reason. I want to believe the right thing. I'm committed to truth. But I want to get there in an honest way not by playing with a stacked deck, not by, okay, I'll knock off the gambling things. I was going to go to dice and everything else, but, you know, you understand what I'm saying. I want to get there by walking straight into the truth, and that happens when we're fair. That's how justice comes about, and let's commit ourselves in our lives to stop taking shortcuts to justice, to to instead of just deciding, you know, I'm better than you, so I don't have anything to learn from you. How about learning from someone that maybe you don't, dis, you don't agree with or you aren't getting along with? Find out what it is, what part of God's revelation of himself exists in, in that person or in their perspective. And ultimately, the scales of justice will balance for us. And we can live lives that aren't so weird and crazy. It's why we call our a radio ministry, the balanced word, because I believe that ultimately, as the word shines its light on everyone, everyone gets a say, that's only fair, and ultimately what God tells us is going to rise to the top, and ultimately we will understand what he wants us to know. And so, again, I encourage you this week, spend some time meditating, and not just emptying your mind, but again, starting from the beginning and saying, God, I want the truth. I want to be honest with you. Confess your sins. If you've messed up, let him know. Quit making excuses for yourself. Devote yourself to truth. Read the Bible that's the truth and say, God, I want your truth out of your word. And then as you worship him and reflect on who he is, get that noble perspective and then say, okay, what am I missing here? Why is it that, my, that life isn't fair to me? Is there an area where I'm not being fair? Is there someone that I know that I'm at odds with because I just haven't given them a chance? I just haven't listened to them enough. And as we go through these steps over the next, you know, however long <laughs> as we work through this book, I hope it's becoming something that you can take practically, that you can set aside some time and get alone with God and go, I want to think in a productive way. And these are some guidelines as to how we can get there. And I pray that God will lead some of you. And some of you right now who are already thinking, I don't like this. Seems like, what'd you do, teach on one word today? Come on. <laughs> what if I'm right? What if God wanted to speak to you something that really bugs you today? Are you willing to hear something that maybe isn't what you expected I love that. I love hearing from people that 
that trip me up a little bit. I like it when God does this to me, when I have a message all worked out and then, whoa, all this attention goes to one thing or heads off in another direction. If you think you're perfect, okay, then don't listen to anyone you disagree with. But as believers who trust God, who believe that He is able to work in our lives that transforming power, then we ought to be looking for opportunities to allow God to use others to rattle our cage and to make us think in a way we haven't been thinking before. If you like the way you are now, then stop thinking you'll be fine. But if you realize like I do that I need work, then be fair. Be fair. Be just. Listen to those who, who differ with you and understand where they're coming from and that'll help you to come up with a verdict, a balance, a life that's closer to the truth and if we're committed to the truth that's what we ought to be doing let's pray Lord you've been more than fair with us amazes me how you just listen and listen and listen to us as we ramble people get tired of listening to us but you don't and I love that God help us to learn to listen Help us to blind ourselves to prejudice, to not jumping to conclusions, to not just clinging desperately to what we think we already know, being afraid to have it challenged. Lord, help us to start listening to each other, listening to our kids, listening to our friends, listening to our spouses, listening to our enemies. Help us to live life fairly so that we can come to that justice that you want us to have as a characteristic of our lives, as justice leads us to truth. Lord, we thank you for being the truth, giving us the truth. Help us to listen when you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and maybe you have